Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Now, live and direct from the press box at Old Comiskey Park, it's time for When Football Was Football. Let's join your host, Joe Ziemba, with another forgotten tale from Chicago's pro football history. Let's go! It's always great to talk football in December, and welcome back to our mini-series here on the Sports History Network, where we're covering the Chicago Cardinals' last championship in 1947. Today, we're headed back to December 13, 1947. With the Western Division title of the National Football League on the line, both the Bears and the Cardinals continued their pregame preparations for that upcoming contest 75 years ago today. By Saturday, December 13, 1947, both teams were confident in their game plans and overall preparation for the battle to be held on December 14th at Wrigley Field in Chicago. With both clubs checking in with 8-3 records, only the winner would move forward to the upcoming NFL Championship clash against the still unknown Eastern Division champ. Much was going on around the league in the waning days of the 1947 season, including the announcement of the league's all-pro team, selected by United Press International. Only 11 spots on the first team were available, which considered players from all 10 teams in the two divisions. Perhaps in a tribute to the power of the two Chicago squads, six of the 11 first-team members were from the Windy City, three from the Bears, and three from the Cardinals. The three honored Bears were end Ken Cavanaugh, tackle Fred Davis, and quarterback Sid Luckman, while the Cardinals who were named to the list were center Vince Benonis and Mel Kuttner, and fullback Pat Harder. Two more Cardinals, quarterback Paul Chrisman and halfback Charlie Trippi, were selected to the second unit of the All-Pro squad and Jim Keene of the Bears was also on the second team. With all of the star power on hand and the Western Division Championship at stake, it was not surprising that a huge crowd was expected for the game on December 14th at Wrigley Field. Andy Frayne, and yes, there really was an Andy Frayne, who was in charge of the Andy Frayne Ushers, urged attendees to arrive early for the game. He said, this will be the largest professional football crowd in Chicago's history, if the fans will cooperate by entering the gates early and taking their seats, we can avoid congestion. With the game starting at 1.30, everybody should be in his seat by 1 o'clock. Also as expected, local discussion focused on which of the two strong teams would prevail as exquisitely captured by the Rock Island Argus, which said, Speculation as to who will come up with what ran rife in Chicago not only because this two-way quest for renown is new to local football annals, but also because whoever wins the Western Division title is considered a copper pipe cinch, get that, to wipe up 
the Eastern winner in the subsequent championship game. The newspaper also pondered the possibility of trick plays being utilized on the field, saying, The two clubs are readying strange things for each other. Plays where the halfbacks change places with the tackles, and the center runs with the ball. Plays to challenge the running savvy of the Bears, McAfee, and the Cards, Trippy, and the passing eclat of Sid Luckman and Paul Christman, Bear and Cardinal Triggers, respectively. Yes, the old trick plays, and this is where we left off in our last episode. You will recall that Coach Jimmy Councilman of the Cardinals had plotted out a surprise play to start the game that he was confident would result in a quick touchdown. Councilman's plan was to force the Bears' slowest linebacker to guard the Cardinals' fastest halfback, Babe Dementiev, on a quick passing play to open the game. However, Dementiev had failed to show up for practice to learn a new play from Monday, December 8th through Friday, December 12th. It was now December 13th, the day before the biggest game in Cardinals history, and Dementiev was still not on hand. However, Councilman was aware of the situation and not at all bothered by it, for Dementiev was with his wife at a local hospital, awaiting the birth of their child, and sleeping on a folding chair each night. Councilman understood this loyalty and later explained in his own inimitable style. I asked him if he could drop by practice and just run through the all-important play that we had built around him. I couldn't help saying that this game Sunday was pretty important to all of us and although I understood his feelings perfectly, it was rather awkward to have the key man in our key play getting into condition by sleeping on a chair every night. He agreed it was a shame. Meanwhile, the usual frigid conditions in December in Chicago were becoming evident. Both teams abandoned their usual practice spots and moved indoors for their preparation that week. The Bears left Wrigley Field for the Chicago Avenue Armory, while the Cardinals departed Comiskey Park for the 124th Field Artillery Armory on 52nd Street. Due to the importance of the game, both teams relished their privacy, according to the Chicago Tribune, which said, Coach Jimmy Councilman announced flatly that the Cardinals' practice sessions would be secret, and they were. While the Bears were not so insistent on the strict secrecy sessions, those fellows doing duty outside the Chicago Avenue Armory were not walking up and down the street just to keep warm. In an effort to maintain some protection against the elements for the Wrigley Field turf, the gridiron itself was covered with a tarp and mountains of hay, 11 tons of it, Tickets for the contest were at a premium, and the Bears began to offer standing room only tickets on December 13th. In addition, a plan was agreed upon to address that possibility of a tie game in those days long before overtime play was initiated. Should the game end in a draw, the two clubs would meet again the following Sunday, which would be December 21st in what was defined as a sudden death event. Injuries were reported as minimal, and both rosters were near full strength. Each team was well-prepared, relatively healthy, and ready to go. Following the birth of Babe Dementiev's daughter, Councilman was pleased that Babe would be available for at least a chalk talk before the game to learn the concept of the trick play. Councilman said, He said he'd be here and would have a cigar for me. But I had the feeling that this time that the cigar would be all I'd have to show for the game with the Bears. 
So could the Cardinals finally surpass the Bears with the trick play with the Rusty Babe dementia work? Please join us tomorrow as we travel back to December 14, 1947, and we'll answer those questions here on the Sports History Network. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We at the Sports History Network are so glad to introduce to you a new addition to our lineup, the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast. It's a weekly podcast that focuses on the history and memorabilia of North American football since its inception in 1869. It's hosted by Bob Swick, the publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and Joe Squires, a longtime contributor to that magazine. The podcast was launched in 2017 and has over 150 episodes that you can listen to now on the Sports History Network, as well as your favorite podcast provider. So join Bob and Joe as they go through football history, talking about the memorabilia and the great legendary players and games of the American Gridiron on the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast.